Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much, Lord, for the opportunity and the honor to be in your presence in, in, your, in your family, to sit at your table, to be welcome here, to, be, to belong here, to know that a big price was paid for me to be here, not just in church on Sunday, but in amongst your people. And I don't, I don't ever want to get over that. I don't ever want to forget what it took you, what it cost you to bring me back. Father, this morning I ask you, I invite you to, to capture my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions. Capture my sentiments, my hopes, my hurts, my offenses my distractions. Just grab me, Lord God. Get my attention and speak into my soul. I need to hear your voice. Everything else has become loud. Everyone else has become clear and overbearing. And I need to forget that, turn the volume down of the world and listen to your voice. So here in your presence, I calm myself in response to your word, to be still and to know that I am God, the Lord says. To reduce the anger, the frustration, the irritability, the how worked up I got about different things through this week. My disappointment and discontentment with 101 things. Here in your presence, I just need to bring all of that down to minimal, lay it aside. Look into your eyes, connect with you, and ask you to breathe in me the breath of life. It's not what we have to offer to you, but what you have endlessly, perennially to offer to us. Search me, O oh God. Know me, try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. Is there anything in my life, Lord, that is robbing me of the joy, robbing me of the blessing, robbing me of the flow of God's blessing in my life? As I come into your presence, Lord, do what you will with me. At any cost, do what you will with me. As I look at my neighbors to the left and right of me, behind and in front of me, open my eyes to their, to their needs, to their hurts, to their story. Oh God, I want to know why you brought me here with these people and who you want me to minister to. I invite you, Father God, to pour your spirit out in this place, to make yourself at home, to glorify yourself, to fill this place with your hope and with your joy so that everyone sitting here, Lord God, would take back from here healing and wisdom and understanding and direction, instruction, and a great sense of forgiveness. Let salvation come to the house of some today, I pray. And no matter where we're at in our walk with you or in our week, get us back to the start, to a place of worship and rest in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's good to be here again. Last week uh, I was at Noida and we were with the congregation there and we had the opportunity to... Uh, uh, 
pray some of the leaders into position there, and we've got a team that's looking after that campus. It's, it's so good. Noida, good morning, and I hope that all of you are doing well. Bangalore, good morning. I hope that you all are doing well. And those of you joining us online, Erdun and some of the other places, I hope that you've got your Bible open and that you're feeling as one with us as we are feeling with each other over here. Uh, we are in Joshua chapter 7 and chapter 8, if you have your Bibles. And I missed last week in Joshua, but we had a good time. And we're back into Joshua this whole month, nonstop. We're going to be looking at the next few chapters of Joshua and going to courageously attempt two chapters today, chapter 7 and chapter 8, because it has kind of something to do with the same thing that we were talking about last time. Are you, re- are you ready? Everybody got your Bibles? If you don't have your Bibles, I don't have scriptures up over there, so you've got to share and uh, some of the points are up there this morning because it's a, it's a long passage of scripture. I don't want to just putting, put up chunks of passages up there and then we'll be reading that most of the time. If there's anything bothering you or hindering your, your connection or your uh, attention, everything, anything concerning you, trust God to take care of that as you focus in on God's word uh, this morning. How do you deal with God's anger? How do you deal with God's anger? The anger of God, the concept of the anger of God. Some people preach it. Some people use it. Some people abuse it. Some people run from it. <laughs> some people just deny it. They just, it does not exist. God cannot be an angry God. Some people debate it. Is God still angry today? Is God still angry with sin today? Or has he given up on us like a rebellious child. How do you handle the tough passages of scripture that talk about the stuff that doesn't gel with your Jesus is my friend in heaven theology? Do you know how we've come to Sunday school, everybody has taught us all the messages that we like on God TV and everywhere else. Jesus is your friend. Jesus has got nothing better to do but just to keep looking after you and pick you up every time you fall. That kind of theology. I want to answer some of these questions today, hopefully, and perhaps begin an online conversation at least, YouTube, Facebook, whatever, and answer, keep keep talking about that. Uh, What I can promise you is even in the heat of God's anger, the grace of God is beautifully presented. The grace and the love of God for his children is beautifully presented. It's highlighted. It becomes real. It becomes uh, magnified. So we're picking up a historical account here in Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8. And it's between, uh, Israel is between two conquests, Jericho and Ai. Jericho and Ai. So they've already conquered Jericho. You know, we heard the story last time. We pulled Rahab out of the wall, got all her family out, and then they are now moving into the next battle, which is the city of Ai. You, some pronounce it differently. But it's, a, it's, a, it's a pronoun. You can pronounce it however you want. You can go, I, that's fine with me, but I call it Ai. Is that okay? I don't know what it is in Malayali or Tamil or thing, but Ai. So that's where we're at. We're picking up in chapter 7. So I I need to just throw some story bits to you in the middle. We can't go through the whole thing. But if you get a chance, go back and read it. If you've already read it, you are two steps ahead. God bless you for that. The the passage in chapter 7 begins with the word but. And when it begins with the but, it's not a good sign. It's just not a good sign. It begins with the word but. But the people of Israel broke faith. Look at that word. They broke faith 
with God in regard to the devoted things. You notice last time we talked about there are certain things that are devoted to God. Go into Jericho, but you will not touch this. You will not touch that. You will leave these things for the, for the treasury, for the temple of God, and everything else is to be burned, is to be destroyed. Okay? <coughs> it's to be burned, is to be destroyed. And the problem with that is that we compromise those smaller instructions thinking that since God is a loving God, he's never going to get mad about anything. And that theology that says that God doesn't get mad about anything is what gets us into trouble. In our workplace, if you think your boss is not going to get upset about this or he's going to overlook this, that's what gets you into trouble. When you settle into that mindset where God has not been punishing me for a long time or things have been going great for a long time, that's when you get into trouble. Everybody with me? When you get complacent, that's when you get into trouble. But the people of Israel broke faith. So there's a guy called Achan, and what this guy did was he took some of the things from the Jericho conquest, and he put it in his tent. He hid it in his tent under his, and amongst his belongings. This is going to become a problem for the next attack. It's going to become an issue. And the Lord, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Who did the sin? Achan. What does he say in the first verse? He says, but the people of Israel broke faith, broke covenant with God with regard to the devoted things. Then he says, Achan took some stuff which he was not supposed to take and he hid it in his. And then he says, God's anger was burned against the people of Israel. Are you with me? Everybody together? God got upset with the whole nation. See, you've got to get into it. Let God be angry. Once in a while, let God be angry. You get angry. In fact, you get angry with God when he gets angry. I tweeted that yesterday. We get angry with the theology that says God can be angry. All in all, admitting the fact that it's okay for us to get angry. And I want to unpack that a little bit. Anger with regard to uh, emotion that sets in place uh, or, or, or reveals that you are out of control. Anger is an emotion that says you are out of control. Something is out of control. Something is in violation. God's anger with regard to some principle that has been violated, some value that has been violated. So we want to unpack that a little bit as we go forward. But what does it mean to get angry? Why is it okay for God to get angry? Why is it not okay for us to get angry? Why is it not okay definitely for us to get angry with God getting angry? I haven't lost you, have I? So Achan, he picks up a nice coat. He saw a nice coat. It was a Gio or a Givo or Armani or something like that. It was in Jericho and he, it was beautiful. It was a Babylonian court. It was lovely. He saw it. Everybody's taking over the city. Everybody's conquer, you know, they're conquering the city. God has done an amazing thing. The walls have just fallen and this guy's looking at coats. And he's looking at gold, a big bar of gold. And he's looking at shekels of silver. And he picked up some of the money, picked up some of the gold, picked up a nice bit of fashion, and he walked out of Jericho. And he hid it in his tent. And he thought, it's too insignificant 
are wrong to affect the overall purposes of God. Do you get what I'm saying? It's too insignificant or wrong to affect the overall purposes of God. So here's what you have, a guy called Achan, and he's from the tribe of Judah. He's the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of Judah, tribe of Judah. Okay, the anger of the Lord is kindled against the people of Israel, and God sends these guys to Ai. They go to conquer Ai. Oh, oh, this is, let me tell you the story, let me tell you the story, in case you don't know it. So Joshua does his thing. He's good at espionage. Espionage? What is that? Espionage. Espionage. Did I get that right? Oh, yeah. He's good at that stuff. So he did that for the previous cities. So he says, let's send them to AI. So he sends a couple of spies. They go into AI. They do the 007 thing. And they come back with this report. Josh, easy, man. We can take these guys. No, no problem. In fact, you know what? I suggest, this is one of the classic uh, spies, I suggest that we give everybody a break, okay? And just send down two to 3,000 people. Just two to 3,000, give everybody a little bit of holiday. Send them to, the, send them to Greece or somewhere. It's two to 3,000 people. Josh falls for it, sends the two to 3,000 people. They get hammered. They get absolutely beaten out of there. They chase them back, and they kill 36 of their fellows. And these guys come running back, running away, and that just killed the ego of Joshua and everybody else. They're like, what is going on? Joshua falls along with the elders before the Ark of the Covenant and says, Lord, what is going on? What, what just happened here? Why are you not providing? Why are you not loving me? Why are you not taking care of me? Why are you not taking, making sure that I, 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 I still win even though there is sin in my life? Even though there is something wrong in my life? Even though I didn't check if everything was okay? Even though I didn't do, do, do a heart check, a people check, a, a, a value check before I went out for a new mission, before I went out for a new conquest? Why, even though I didn't do that, why didn't you just, why didn't your grace cover for me? Guys, you've got to learn one thing. God gets angry with holy things. God gets angry when holy things are not used for the right purpose. God gets angry when holy things are not used for the right purpose. He wants them to be holy in order to maintain their usability. I dare you to walk into a kitchen, pick up a dirty cup and use it to drink water. No, 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 no. We would not do it. You'll sit in a restaurant and you'll look at a plate sideways and say, there's still some dirt here. You will not pick up clothes out of your laundrette, uh, laundry and, and, and wear it again. Or some, sometimes maybe, but, but most of the time you would not do that. At least not for the third time. You and I will not use a dirty vessel. God will not use a dirty vessel. It's as simple as that. And you are not holy. God is holy. God wants you holy. And God gets mad. God, get upset. God gets upset when things that are devoted to his work, things that are devoted to his purposes are not used. He sets things aside. He sets people aside for his purposes. And you touch that or misuse that or abuse that and God gets angry with that. Do you know that you are one of those holy things? You are one of those holy vessels that God has chosen and set aside. God says, you are a peculiar people. You are a holy people. You are a people unto me. You are called by my name. You are for, to be for the, to the praise of his glorious grace. I have set my name upon you. I have called you my own. 
I have set my seal of approval upon you. I have put my spirit in you. You are more sanctified and set apart than anything on the face of the earth. You are one of those holy people. And when your life is used for any other purpose other than what God wants it, allow him to get upset. Allow him to get upset because he is proprietor of the very breath you breathe. God gets angry with holy things when holy things are not used to the right purpose. God also expects his people to ensure devotion and purity. So our life must be about, you can do whatever you want. I must be set apart for God's work. What is God's work? Lord, search me, try me, see if there be any wicked in me. I must constantly be under the scanner. God expects his people to ensure devotion and purity. So the spies go to spy the land. They come back saying, we can manage this. This is no problem. They're getting complacent. Send two or three thousand people. We'll wipe these guys out. God's on our side. They went up. They fled. Thirty-six are killed, uh, being chased back all the way home. And the hearts of the people are now afraid. And they became like water, it says. The hearts of the people of Israel became like water. Joshua tore his robes, very dramatic, at the right time. Joshua tore his robes, fell on his face to the earth, and says, before the ark of the Lord, we, we fall on before us, with, along with the elders, Lord, we put a dust on our heads. God, what's going wrong? Why have you quit on us? Why have you quit on us? I like this. God wants leaders to repent first. God wants leaders to take the first action with regard to the people, with regard to the community. God wants the leaders to be the first ones to ask God for restoration. If you noticed, God didn't go to Achan first, God went to Joshua first. If you notice, God didn't say, I'm angry with Achan's sin, he said, I'm angry with the people of Israel's sin. Are you with me on all these matters? I want you to see what God is thinking, and when you think, see what God is thinking, you, you understand what is valuable to God. God wants leaders to lead in repentance, leaders to lead in restoration. Verse 7 of chapter 7, he says, have you brought us to destroy us? That's familiar. That's very familiar Israel talk. Have you brought us into the wilderness? Have you brought us into this thing? After amazing things that he has just done, have you brought us here to destroy us? Interesting, Joshua. You never stop to ask, have we done anything wrong? You've you got, you got a problem with God's plan, but you don't have a problem with your performance. You never want to stop and question your own actions. Have you brought us here to destroy us? And he says, oh Lord, what can I say? It's embarrassing. Israel's running from its enemies. People will hear and they will surround us and they will cut us off from the face of the earth. And then he goes into emotional drama. He goes into a little bit of emotional manipulation and says, and then God, what will happen to your name on this earth? What will be of your name? Socho thoda sa aapko. Apna naam ke baare mein socho thoda sa. All along, he didn't know that God was thinking about his name. And his name is wrapped up in his people. Just like your name is wrapped up in your children. And when your children fail, your name is corrupted. Your name is shamed. You want your children to succeed so that your name is preserved. In the same way, God was looking after his name by stopping his children from seeing undue, undeserved success. What will you do for your name? Joshua asks God. <laughs> Verse 10, God speaks. Reminds me of the book of Job. Verse 10, God speaks. He says, get up. Twice he says, get up in this, in this uh, passage of scripture, in this account. He says, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have 
stepped outside the deal. They have broken covenant with me. They have taken the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them among their own things. Now you don't know what is holy and what is not unholy in your life. Your life is so mixed up that what is holy and what is unholy is mixed up. Your sin is so intertwined with the rest of your things that you don't know what doesn't belong anymore. First time he says, get up in verse 10. Again he says, get up, consecrate your people. Because God's plan is not punishment and condemnation. God's plan is get up, let's go on. Let's, 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 let's get our act together and let's make this happen. God's plan is always redemption. God's plan is always restoration. Consecrate the people, he says to the leader. The fourth thing I want you to pick up on this is God wants us to know. Let's slow this down and read it slowly together. God wants us to know that you cannot stand before your... This is what God says to Joshua. You cannot stand before your enemies, circle the word until... You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to slow it down. And we're going to get every word. God wants us to know what? You cannot stand. You will fall. Before your enemies, when your enemies attack, until you take away the devoted things from among you. God says, don't touch that, that belongs to me. Don't use that, that way, that belongs to me. Don't use that, that way, or spend that, that way, that belongs to me. And you take what is of God, and you use it for some other purposes. When you do that, what happens? When your enemy attacks, you won't stand. You won't stand. You will not be able to face your enemy. You will not have the strength to face your enemy. You will not have the moral courage to face your enemy. God wants you to know that you cannot stand before your enemies until you... What does God want you to do? He wants you to stand. So what does he want you to do? Search me, O Lord. Search me, O Lord. Search me, O Lord. Search me, O Lord. Every day. When does the enemy attack? You don't know. When do you want to be prepared? All the time. Are you with me? Are you getting this? Drop with me to verse 16. Joshua rose early in the morning. He begins the selection process. He calls out one tribe, calls out one family, calls out Achan. And once he calls out Achan, he says, come on, man, what have you done? What have you done? God has exposed you. You are the one who's done this. What have you done? Achan comes clean. He tells the whole story. And he says, this is what I have done. This is what I've done. When I saw the beautiful cloak, the 200 shekels of silver, and the bar of 50 shekels of gold, I coveted them in my heart, and I took them. They are hidden in my tent. Joshua sends a couple of guys, goes, finds it, gets it back, and says, why have you brought, verse 25, why have you brought trouble on us? Why have you brought trouble on us? The word for trouble is achor. Achor. A-C-H-O-R. Why have you brought this trouble on God's people? Your sin has robbed the nation of Israel. No, you're not listening. Your sin has brought the nation of Israel or robbed the nation of Israel of blessing. Is God's anger beginning to make sense here? Your sin has robbed my family of my blessing. Your sin has robbed my name of my blessing. Your sin has stopped conquest. 
in my promises being delivered to my people. I said, go take the land, go take the land, go take the land. Because of your sin, I'm not able to let them move forward or bless their work. The church is suffering because somebody doesn't want to live for God's purposes. Your mess is our mess. It's never just your mess. It's not just your little thing hidden in your little cupboard, your little activity, your little habit. You are a member of the body of Christ. And when one finger is hurting, the whole body hurts. When one finger is infested, the whole body is infested. Your sin is our sin. Your mess is our mess. And it does affect the rest of the body. Is God being all, you know, judgmental and saying, I don't want to bless you. I don't know until you are completely holy and, you know, until you... No, he's not saying that. He's saying that you've got to understand it's a body thing. It's a people thing. He was angry with the nation of Israel. His anger burned against the nation of Israel. And he called the nation of Israel to account. And he told Joshua, get everybody to be consecrated. Why? Because Achan has sinned. You're like, that's not fair. That's not fair. Just because they are sleeping together, or just because he's on drugs, or just because he's doing that, or just because they can't get their act together, or just because he's compromised his money, or his tithes, or whatever, just because their sin is... Why should we suffer? Well, because we're a body. So if you're thinking with me, that if one, one hand is hurting, or one hand is abused, or one hand is in trouble, or one hand is infested, the rest of the body takes responsibility to bring this one hand back to health. Are you with me? You don't cut it off, cut it off, cut it off, cut it off. If we did that, our body would be in pieces all over South Delhi. Every time a finger was paining you, like, chop. So we don't throw people out of the church. We don't throw people out of the family. We make sure that everybody comes to health. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? There is no space for condemnation. There's a lot of space for reconnection and restoration. Why did you bring trouble on us? Today the Lord will bring trouble on you. Today the Lord will bring trouble on you. And this is the part that gets hard. I'm not even going to try to explain it. I'm going to give it to you and just let it sit there. Because I think sometimes we need to come face to face with the reality of God's anger and just leave it right there. Even if it doesn't fit with, fit with my Jesus is my friend in heaven theology. Today the Lord will bring trouble on you. So he brought out the whole family, all the children, all the it, the, the cattle and everything brought them into the middle of the valley and stoned them, burned them, raised a, heat, a great heap of stones on top of them, and then the Lord turned from his burning anger. And the valley was named Akor. Pastor Jeremy, I don't like this story. That's okay. You don't have to. Pastor Jeremy, I don't like the concept of God getting angry and this kind of war and burning and stone. I don't, I don't like it. That's okay. It's okay that you don't like it. Because God wants another kind of stone of remembrance. Do you remember the stone of remembrances? When God was faithful? 
Did you like that? He set up a stone of remembrance. When God brought victory, set up a stone. You like that? God said, set up a stone of remembrance. So that your people, your children will see and they'll ask, what is this, dad? What is this? Why did you put this here? What is this uh, heap of stones? And then you can answer them. When we were crossing the Jordan, when we were going through the wilderness, when we were this, when we were that, God came through and he was faithful and he answered and he delivered. Then you come to the valley of Achor and you see another pile of stones and the, uh, and the children say, Dad, what is this stone? Did God do something great here? No, son. God didn't do anything great here. Man did something terrible here. And we must always remember the damage and the destruction that comes from personal sin in our lives. The damage and destruction that comes to the whole body of Christ when there is personal sin in our lives. God wants us to not forget the loss and damage and setback that sin causes for what we give into. Can I say that again, please? God wants us to not forget the loss, the damage, and the setback that sin causes when we give in. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or even answer me out openly, but the truth of the matter is every single one of us could have been far greater, far more down the road in our walk with God, in our ministry, in our love for the Lord, in our sanctification, in our accomplishments for the Lord Jesus, if we had not given in to that sin, that relationship, that apathy, that complacency, that period of time, that misplaced priority. Quietly say amen. Instead of going to God and saying, what will happen about your name? What will happen with your name? What about you? you? Your people are running from the enemies. Do something. No, no, no. You do something. Go search your tent. Go search your tent. Because some things that are devoted to God's purposes are being misused for your purposes. You don't worry about my name. I'll take care of my name. God's, God wants us to not to forget. So that the children then see, oh, my dad did this, and it caused this, this, this. My dad or my, my, fa my, my mother was an alcoholic or was a gambler or was a thing. Those are some big ones. Or they misplaced their priorities. Or they didn't put God first. And you see the sin in the, in the lives of the previous generation. And you see that heap of stones. Yes. Oh, I only want to leave a legacy of my accomplishments for my son. I don't want to leave a string of my failures. But God says, no, I want the next generation to learn from your previous failures. That's putting it all out there. Oh, can we do it after I'm dead and gone? No, I want you to do it now. Put it on display so that your people can see when you fail, there's loss, there's damage, and God's blessing is held back. So that your children don't do that again. Because God doesn't want you to do that again. Moving into Joshua chapter 8, Joshua is shaken by this incident. You can imagine it. You can imagine it. Joshua is shaken by this incident. He's seen the anger of God. He's had to, he's had to execute an, a terrible judgment on some people in his church in his community and he's shuddering and God calls him and he says don't be dismayed don't be discouraged this is going to happen this is a hard reality of having to be pure 
and God's anger is now diminished because sin has been removed from the camp. And God says, let's do this. I want you to take 30,000 people, take all the men of war. Don't take 2,000, 3,000 people, take all the men of war because I want to give everybody victory. I want everybody involved here. And here's what you're going to do. And God gives them an action plan, a plan of war, a strategy. You're going to go and you're going to surround AI completely. And you know how last time when they remembered running after you and chasing after you and making you run from them? Remember that? Let's redo that. Let's play that all over again. So in chapter 8, he gets a few people to come to AI. I'm like, ah! And they turn out and they run. And AI, like idiots, all the men of AI, every single one, jump out of the city and they go running after the four and a half uh, Israelites that were running from them. Are you getting the picture here? They're like, oh, we did it once before. We can do this again. They came running after them. But when all the men came out of AI and they went running behind Joshua and a few men, the rest of the 30,000 who had ambushed the city attacked the city and took over the city from behind. And then Joshua turned around and as God's commanded, he raised his javelin towards Ai. And as soon as he raised his javelin towards Ai, all the people from behind ambushed the city and the people over here turned around to see that their city was up in smoke. <laughs> they didn't even fight. And they got the city. It's never about, do you remember this from last week, last time? It's never about the fight. It's about obedience. If you're pure, if you're dedicated, you'll never be sinless, but you can be pure. That's another sermon coming up. If you're pure, pure in heart, pure in terms of your purpose, you live under the scanner, you live under the scanner of the Holy Spirit, you're constantly open before the Lord, and like David says, Lord, all my sin is before you. Search me, try me, nothing. I'm not hiding anything from you. I'm an open white sheet before you. I'm an open book. Lord, all my sin is in front of you. All my sin is toward you. Oh God, have mercy on me. You live like that. When your enemy attacks, God takes care of the battle. God takes care of the battle. So God always comforts the afflicted. After he has punished, he then uh, comforts the afflicted. Like a father that punishes his child, after the punishment is over and the anger has rested, the father takes the child back in his arms and reassures the child of his love and commitment towards that child. Very, very important. A little bit of parenting here. God always comforts after he afflicts or convicts. His biggest desire is to give us victory and bless us. You've got to believe that. Anything that hinders, anything that hinders his blessing in your life angers him. I'm going to read it again. You're not listening. It hasn't sunk in. I'm going to keep saying it until it sinks in. Here we go again. Anything that hinders his blessing in your life angers him. It's not about his name. He can handle his name. Don't worry about that. He can handle his reputation. Don't worry about it. What he can not do is bless you when you're violating your sin. When you're violating his purposes. Just towards the end, the last part, verse 30 to 35 of chapter 8. We're right at the end of chapter 8. Joshua is shaken by this entire incident. He goes and he goes to Ai and they destroy that and they've got conquest over that city. 
God's purposes are maintained, God's, uh, God's promises kept, and Joshua comes back to town and he takes a holiday to Venice. Yes? This is what Joshua does. Joshua renews his covenant with God. Joshua renews his covenant with God's people. He does church. He basically does church. And that's what church is. That's what Sunday morning is. That's why I keep saying don't miss church. That's why I keep saying the week is so weak. The week is, is filled with defeat and with successes. The week is filled with attacks and ups and downs. You've got to come back on Sunday morning. You've got to get right with God. And then you've got to re-covenant. You've got to get back. You've got to renew your covenant. That's what we do on Sunday morning. That's what worship leaders should be doing. That's what music should be doing. It's supposed to be taking us back to what we are committed to. So in Joshua chapter, thir- uh, sorry, uh, Joshua chapter 8, verse 30 to 35, Joshua renews the covenant. He says, God wants us to know. God wants us to renew his covenant with us so that we can live under his grace and live under his love, not under our performance. God wants us to renew his covenant with us so that, so that you keep remembering, you keep remembering, this is covenant life. This is covenant life. Not incompetent life, but covenant life. You keep remembering that I'm here because of God's grace, not because I did anything to deserve it. You keep remembering that if I'm here, then anybody else can be here. Is this the same God that you worship? Does he operate in the same way? Is God wanting now for us to check, is there sin in people's lives, take them out, stone them? Is God dealing with the church in the same way he dealt with the nation of Israel? Is God promising the same things to the nation of Israel that he's promising to the church? Go to Jaipur, take Jaipur, I've given you Jaipur. Is God saying this? No, he's not. He's not. Jaipur is not yours. And never will be. Get over it. Is he still angry? What does he do with sin now? What does he do with my sin? How does he respond to my secret sins? How does he respond to my coat that's hidden in my closet? Are you with me? What does God do with that now? Look at what the, what the scripture says. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce... See, first and foremost, understand anger. There is emotional anger, and then there is God's indignation, righteous indignation. Emotional anger is when you and I blow a fuse. Because we have lost control of our child, of our situation, of the auto guy. Our anger is in response to our lack of control over something. Men will yell and scream and shout and become violent when they have lost control or they are not able to influence people to do as they want. Women will cry and after crying they will cry a little bit more 
And after crying a little bit more, they'll get everybody's attention on how much they cry and cry a little bit more. And 90% of that crying is the anger that men show in screaming and shouting. It's all anger. You're not fooling anybody. Very rarely are we crying for the right thing. Very rarely are we angry for the right thing. And James says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, but the anger of God produces the righteousness of God or righteousness in man. When God gets angry, it's because he wants you righteous. He wants you righteous because he wants to bless you. He wants to bless you because then you will look like his children, blessed. Blessed. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those who are happy. Blessed means happy. Happy means blessed. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Let's look at one more verse of scripture. Psalm chapter 30 verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor lasts for a lifetime. His anger is how long? A moment. His favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. God's all about that. Is God angry with sin? Is God still angry with sin? Answer, no. God is not angry with sin. But how can God not be angry with sin? He was so angry with Achan for such a small sin. How can he not be angry with Well, he was very angry with sin. Let me tell you a story, and I'll close. 2018 years ago, God sent the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> His name was Jesus because the word Jesus means Savior. He will save our people. Let me give you another word for save. Shield. Shield. He will shield the people from the anger of God. God was about to pour out all His anger against all sin for all time. Listen to this. Tell your friend. Share it. Live it. God was about to pour out all his anger for all sin, for all lifetime. All the violence, and sorry, all the violation towards his covenant, everything that man has ever done wrong, past, present, and future, God was going to pour out all his anger. His anger was kindled, just kindled towards Israel, but his anger was latched out towards Jesus. And he put Jesus on the cross, and he says, I'm going to send all my anger out, pour all my anger within a matter of three to six hours and one person is going to absorb the whole thing and shield man completely jesus hung on the cross and his hanging on the cross was the least of his problems as jesus hung on the cross god shut the lights off as he pulled poured all of his anger his wrath everything kindled over the ages every lie every molestation every rape every injustice every impropriety every deceit everything that man and women have ever done to each other and to themselves his anger toward all of that that stopped him from loving caring and blessing his people even the very sin that cut man off from him and murdered that identity so that now God had to send Jesus to replace that identity. His own children were taken away from him, torn away from him. This father stood at the window, constantly looking, when will my son come back? When will my son come back? At the very glimpse of his head popping over the horizon, he got out and he ran towards his son. This father sent Jesus to the cross, hung him on the cross, poured all his anger on himself, which is his son, and Jesus shielded that anger. Is God angry? Not anymore. Somebody say hallelujah. Wake up in this church. Let something move you. 
Let something get you on your feet and say, you know what? I deserve better. I, I deserve to live better because of what God has done for me. Let Jesus and his, his atoning sacrifice, his love for you, his shielding of God's anger, and his placement of grace upon you, his cover of grace upon you, let it make a difference on your face, on your life, on your reactions, on your words, on your tone. Jesus hung on the cross and he received everything from God and shielded man that day. And that day, mind you, you can challenge me on this theology, but God poured his anger out completely. And when it was done, Jesus said, measuring the anger of God, it is finished. So Jesus shielded God's anger completely. And then he turns around to us and says, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, all the love of God towards his son, does God love his son? Yes, he does. All the love of God towards his son is now yours. So God's anger was annulled. God's anger was cancelled. God's love was multiplied toward you. Why? Because God's love for his son increased when his son was obedient to him. God's love for his son increased when his son did this for him. That he went and got you back to him. So God's love was increased for his son. Then God takes you and puts you in his son. So you become the recipient, undeserving as it were, of all the love multiplied over the generations. You live under such tremendous grace. You don't have the right to whine, to whinge, or to sin. Now when there is sin in your life, there is only discipline that God may bless you. Take a moment to be quiet in God's presence. There's got to be a response. There's got to be a heart response. Something that tells God, Lord, thank you.